freedom of expression, there can be no great art. Artists must have the ability to express themselves fearlessly and take enormous risks in order to create authentic work. So what happens when this fundamental value is eroded within our culture? It's a question that my guest on the podcast today has thought a lot about, and one he tackles in his very first Substack newsletter, dedicated to a recent incident which saw London's Field Day Festival rescind a booking request from the rapper MIA in the wake of her online comments. Winston Marshall is a British musician and a former member of the band Mumford & Sons. He's also the host of the podcast Marshall Matters at The Spectator and the author of a Substack newsletter called The Windstack. Winston Marshall is my guest today on Lean Out. Winston, welcome to Lean Out. Tara, thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been following your work for some time, so it's a great pleasure to have you here with us today. Uh, You recently joined Substack, and your first essay is uh, about MIA's cancellation and how that should worry all musicians. This is about London's Field Day Festival rescinding a booking request for the British rapper after she made online comments. And the speculation is that this is about comments she made on the COVID vaccines. What moved you to kick off your Substack with this particular story? Uh, Well, this story, I think, is typical of of what we're seeing in the music industry and I think the creative industries at large. And so let me just go into the, the story specifics. We don't know exactly what it was that she said that made Field Day Music Festival rescind their offer. All they said was that her, quote, online comments were the reason why they were rescinding, quote, online comments, right? So it most likely that it was her discussing COVID. Uh, but she's also since then suggested it might be because she did an interview with Candace Owens, not the content of the interview of Candace Owens, just that she had done an interview with Candace Owens, the the American conservative pundit. Now, what is very shocking to me was that 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 can be cited as a a reason to rescind the offer. MIA did not go on a Kanye-style racist, anti-Semitic round, anything of the sort. If you look at, certainly that's not what happened on the Candace Owens show, and and if it's the covid related comments she made you know whether or not she's right it's not it's sort of beside the point but it was stuff that it was she talked about her her child being uh, forced to have a vaccination um she talked about uh, she, you know gaslighting healthy people for thinking they're weak ridiculing her in the press on the front page of newspapers making making her feel like she was a murderer she called out big pharma and, you know, some of it's a bit punchy. And whether or not you agree with her, it's besides the point, how can a festival not accept people for having different opinions? Just think that through. Which Does that mean they only book people who think exactly as they think? And if that's the case, then no one's thinking, first of all. But also... The idea that there's diversity of thought is is nonsense. Like, you know, 
I get very frustrated about this in the music because everyone's banging on about kindness and, and and diversity and all these things. But okay, so here we have someone of Sri Lankan. She's British. She's Sri Lankan heritage, and she has a heterodox opinion on on vaccines, and that and that's the reason why she's not getting an offer um, for this um, festival. Now you might say it's up to the festival. It's their prerogative who they uh, book. They got their own risks to you know uh, for whatever reason i think that's also partly true they probably fear a media backlash there wouldn't be one because i don't know how there could be one someone she's getting booked elsewhere and there aren't media backlashes for her being booked uh so the why this is bad is because music art other artists will see this and think oh i better keep quiet if i risk losing gigs because i've got the wrong opinions better to not have any opinions and there are some level of artists like well actually it turned out even Kanye is cancelable uh, but there's some level of artists who are somewhat uncancelable but majority of artists it's a really difficult game it's very hard to make money from music and so majority of artists are just not going to take the risk another consequence of that by the way will be that they take less risks with their creations with their music and it just it just creates an atmosphere and i know that I, I that was my experience in it is that after a while of like don't say that don't say that trying to you, you, it, it seeps into every aspect of your creativity the idea that there are things you cannot go towards and, and things you cannot explore and in the music industry a whole an industry that the foundational premise of the, of the music industry, the sine qua non of the music industry is self-expression and you're telling artists by by this action that they shouldn't express themselves how can it last mm. start with a rant <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> not at all it is so strange. I mean, this issue of artists and free expression. I started my career as a music critic in hip hop. And back then, the this is 20 years ago, the attacks on free speech were mainly coming from conservatives. And I think this is why you have the older guard of, of rappers understanding this. Ice-T recently tweeted, which you retweeted, artists are here to disturb the peace. This is no longer the thinking. The censorship calls are often coming from the left and not just the left, but from musicians themselves, like Neil Young and, and the Joe Rogan situation. What does that particular shift mean for for musicians right now? Uh, well, it's interesting you bring up Ice T because I, I forget which song, but there was a song in the nineteen eighties of his. It might even be called Freedom of Speech or something like that. But he had a whole verse about uh, the First Amendment. So in that period, it was moral majoritarians, uh, Christian, usually the Christian conservatives, worried about obscene language. And so that's where the, the sort of free speech issues came into place. We haven't got quite the equivalent now. It's not, it's not, you know, artists can still say what they want. It's just that there are repercussions, there are like professional repercussions in a very fragile enterprise for, for saying what you want. And 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 also I, I there's some important nuances here. So for example, if you take the example of Kanye, he has said some things that I think are beyond the pale on uh, some some anti-Semitic things. I, I think that there, there's, and it's borderline inciting violence. I don't know if it's technically inciting violence, but it's it's on it's on the borderline. It's close to it. So I'm not. I wouldn't defend his. I certainly defend his right to say what he uh, wants as long as he doesn't incite violence. But 
what's curious about what MIA has done is that she it's not nowhere near that line mm-hmm. and and uh, it, it, even the idea of it being near that line is laughable uh, i've had my own experience when i when i called out and t- call them but i promoted a book that was critical of blm's rioting and and uh, the antifa uh, movement in in 2020 again nowhere near the line and but if you break these taboo topics there's all sorts of repercussions to pay so it, it's not quite how it was in the 80s 90s but it's worth remembering that because i i also think that um conservatives have a history of doing this and also that's still happening conservatives are also cancelling people and that and that should be remembered i think in in britain there's one example that comes to mind there's a football player called trevor sinclair uh, who used to play for england and he played for queen's park rangers and a bunch of other um, teams and now he's a football pundit and at the time of the queen's passing he said something about the monarchy being a racist institution and and I didn't agree with what he said and I didn't like what he said, but he, I think he worked at talk sport or some sort of, if not talk sport, then a BBC channel. And they suspended him for those comments. And that now he didn't say anything illegal. He didn't, it might've been, you know, slightly insensitive, but that is cancel culture. That is having professional repercussions for saying things that People not not agree with, but they're not like wrong. Like they're not. It's not morally wrong for him to say that. And so it, it, it's just I, I say that because it, it's worth check. And you know, conservatives should check their blind spot. There's a sort of a bit of a myth that this just comes from the woke left. I don't. I don't believe that's mm. t- entirely true. Although it, it's certainly in the music industry, it's the progressive thinking has captured the gatekeepers' minds, and and, and that's what we're seeing with the case of MIA. Mm-hmm. I wanted to to speak just briefly about your own experience, Fallis, that you you just raised. Of, of course, you were a decade and a half in Mumford and Sons in 2021. You left the band after the tweet that you just referred to about reading Andy No's book on Antifa and and calling him a brave man. Um, there was a huge internet pylon. Take me back to that time and what you were thinking and feeling then. Uh, well, I should note that that's 18 months ago now, and difficult as a period it was. I'm in a much better place and have rebuilt uh, or am rebuilding my life and, and f- feeling good. So I, I, I say that because I, I don't want to sort of tell this story and and come across all woe is me. I've done I've I've told this story now a fair amount of times. And, and at the time I was very emotional. And then now I've sort of it's distant enough that I feel that it's slightly easier to talk about it, but it certainly was a very emotional time. I tweeted, it wasn't emotional when I tweeted. I, through the pandemic, I was tweeting about books I was reading. Uh, this ranged from Tolstoy to Dostoevsky to Mao's Little Red Book and uh, right and left, everything, fiction, nonfiction, science, philosophy, everything. Mm. And one of the books I tweeted about was Andy Knows, an American conservative journalist who covers... Antifa and, the, and far left extremism in the states, and this book documented the 19 deaths in the first 14 days of the BLM riots. It documented Chaz in Seattle and the federal courthouse siege in Portland, and th- that sort of behaviour. The rioting involved the BLM uh, movement and the many businesses, mainly black businesses, that were destroyed or or, or well, you remember, you remember all that time. Anyway, so I tweeted about this book, and somehow, and I think it's a 
I, I had about 3,000 followers on Twitter, so I don't understand how this happened. It just blew up. And by the end of the weekend, it was a new segment on various, like, you know, right and left major news channels. It was in the papers and it just was a Twitter pile on. It just kind of went up all the Twitter uh, trending things. It, it blew up. There's a massive backlash. And, and Antifa... And well, then they have all these tactics that they they go after your associates and your friends, and 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 they do everything they can to just kind of tear down uh, whatever they can. And, and like for example, the, that night they they went for my Wikipedia page and changed it from Winston Marshall is a banjo player to Winston Marshall is a fascist. And I had a good friend of mine who was able to try and edit that down, but they kept editing it back uh, on on Wikipedia. It's just. They do everything they can to to attack and destroy. And it became a very emotional weekend. And a lot of my f- friends and associates were very upset by my tweets. And uh, I issued an apology. I was I would say I was forced to issue the apology, which is true. But I also felt like perhaps I didn't know the whole story. Perhaps I didn't know everything that was going on. I'm prepa- I was open to being proved that maybe I was wrong. So um, I I issued the apology. And then over the coming months, I looked deeper and deeper into the issue. And I kind of went mad because I couldn't, I didn't think I had actually done anything wrong. Uh, And by mad, I mean, I wasn't sleep. I would eventually losing sleep, not eating properly. And I was in this horrible situation where my sort of basic options or or, uh, to put it basically now is like, I could have stayed, stood by this apology that that I think was participating in the lie that far left extremism was good, or or I could leave, save my bandmates the trouble, but at least have my integrity and dignity, which sadly staying in the band wasn't an option uh, to to keep those things. So it is what it is, and and I think that ultimately at this point I certainly don't regret it. Um, I. Uh, you don't have your soul what the fuck have you got so you know and lots of bizarre things have come my way as a consequence you know life's full of surprises mm. I, I loved that in your your piece um where you discussed why you were leaving the band you talked about self-censorship and the way that erodes integrity and gnaws at one's conscience and that you had already felt that beginning i, I certainly relate to that myself talk to me a little bit more about that that feeling well there's there's a few aspects to it and and fortunately i kept my journal through the whole experience so so i got all the the detail um but part of the aspects are, are that it's this i i always felt like that apology like if i had kids for example i remember thinking this how would i explain that apology to them like if they were like daddy why did you you didn't do anything wrong why did you apologize and i hadn't I think good reasons to apologize, but I was under unbelievable pressure, but ultimately I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite square that. And actually telling the truth is pretty important thing, I think. So the other, part of the reason why it was so stressful is I didn't quite know how to get out of the the situation like I didn't quite know what how to deal with it or like uh, I, I didn't have a clear vision for how to get out of the mess and since I was 
sort of 18 decision making has been pretty easy because it was like oh, i'm going to be a rock star so every decision i made was sort of in that direction and it was like write songs tour hard work hard play your instruments and then at that point it was like well what do i do here and then another aspect was that i felt that that apology whatever song i would write in the future or whatever prose i would write or whatever art i created like art is the pursuit of truth and and so if i if i uh that 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 apology would always negate future work and past work so i, I that that was the thing that really burned me but burnt my my uh, my soul mm. And now you have a podcast at The Spectator. You're having these wonderful conversations about these sort of taboo issues in arts and culture. Mm -hmm. You also uh, write for The Spectator. And I want to draw attention, just switching gears for a moment now, to a, a piece you just wrote defending Jordan Peterson. So mm -hmm. this is about the regulatory board for psychologists here in Ontario, where I live, uh, has threatened to revoke his license if he does not submit to social media training. This is in response to a handful of tweets, one of which uh, referring to our prime minister as a puppet. Jordan Peterson is a very divisive figure in this country. He is a total pariah in media circles. And yet I have to say pretty much every man I know or have met outside of kind of elite liberal circles says that he has helped him tremendously. Walk me through your thinking on this situation with Jordan Peterson and the College of Psychologists. So one thing is worth noting is that before he came to public pro prominence there he didn't have a bag mark against him there was never a complaint from any of his clients as a, as a psychologist uh, nor anything when he was an educator at either harvard or the um, university of toronto so he a complete clean uh, record and 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 that's a long that's at least two decades worth of work and then uh, as soon as he started in the public domain and speaking out on political issues i think in your country it was the bill c16 uh, which was about free speech that's when a trickle started coming and now and now the guy's got followers in his i mean followers i mean readers he's got the biggest one of the biggest podcasts in the world he's must have sold millions of tickets to his live shows and as as his he's grown in the, in in that sense so have the the complaints multiplied um but if you a lot if you go through the complaints some of them some of them were thrown out almost immediately and there's no real there's nothing really there at the best if you were to really criticize him it's like that he's quite pugilistic and pugnacious and and, and punchy in his some of his tweets like calling Trudeau a puppet and and uh, he called one of the advisors a, a prick or something like that, which, you know, he doesn't need to do that. But, OK, in terms of losing it. So then he's the um, College of Ontario for psychologists and, and every profession has this. And by the way, this type, this is very close to the MIA in, in some story, in some some ways. But they're they're threatening to or we don't know if they're technically threatening, but he's been forced to do re-educate, like retraining media training i think it, they even used the word at some some point ethics training based on various complaints of of what he said and what happens if he doesn't do it we don't know uh, perhaps he'll lose his his license his his ability to to practice now it's another thing that's worth noting is here that he probably won't practice again because 
he he reaches millions now. Why and why would he go back to that? But that also sort of, in my opinion, misses the point because he worked very hard to get those qualifications, and if if he'd actually breached any of the rules that had been set out before he'd undergone that process and built his two decade long practice then maybe that's fair but he as far as i can see he hasn't really breached the rules so what this means again similar to mia is that if you say the wrong things usually politically has is politically centric things there are professional repercussions as i said the college of ontario psychologist i think that's their name there's equivalent such boards for pretty much all professionals all professions so if he ends up either having to do this stuff this media training or having his practice revoked for one you know for one scalp a hundred people shut up for 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 every one person that is cancelled or has professional repercussions a hundred others will stop talking which means that people are, are too scared to speak and then untruths run loose and and we can't have that we have to have free speech otherwise society just will run, run them up lies can flourish uh, that's why we need free speech that so that people can call them out so it's a, it's a troubling event whatever you think of peterson if you don't like peterson that shouldn't make you not that shouldn't mean that you should that this this incident shouldn't interest you it should very much interest you because i think it has implications to to wider society mm. um i wanted to ask you about another uh recent case that had to do with filmmaker meg smaker she did some events with the foundation against intolerance and racism recently you're involved with that organization with this particular cancellation attempt it did feel like the tide was turning that the coverage that she got in the mainstream media seemed quite fair. And I also noticed that there was a lot of a like back channel action on that particular story. What what was your response to that story? And are, What's the, what was the back channel? What does that mean? Hearing people kind of off the record come out and say, this is a crazy story. Yeah, everyone's saying this is a crazy story. They say it's a crazy story about MIA, but that's the, that's the point that it's in the back channels. What good is that? We mm. need it out in the front channels. <laughs> we need it out. We need people out in the mainstream actually saying this and and meg's uh incident if i mean i don't know the film industry particularly well but it seems pretty similar to the music industry where there are gatekeepers who behave like this so uh, uh, the story was that she has this film called the redacted and it used to be called jihad rehab in fact so and she follows four former Guant guantanamo bay inmates who'd been there a long time and they'd been involved in various jihadi activity beforehand and then they're released and she follows them in saudi arabia going through this state-run rehabilitation now the film is very sympathetic to the inmates and by that it's not sympathetic to their jihad behavior but it's so human that you you become you sort of feel sorry you do, at moments you do feel a bit sorry for these guys and that and that's not to say i in any way approve in fact i, I particularly after the manchester arena 
attack in 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 England in uh, 2015, I think it was, and the Bataclan, like where um, where where jihadism became a really big issue for me, like that really affected me because it was felt like it was at my doorstep. So I, I would not be someone going into watching that film liking these guys in the least. I didn't even think it would be possible for me to have any inkling of of sympathy. But it's such a caring film that, and so it's so human that you actually kind of get into that. So the point I'm trying to make is, in no way is this an Islamophobic or Muslim-phobic film, not even close. Like, you just couldn't... If you watch the film, it's it's the opposite. So so she, she was at Sundance Film Festival, and then the film, I think, got taken down. And then I, well, I might get these details incorrect, but one of the producers is Abigail Disney, and she issued an apology for her involvement in the film. So it's just lunacy. And then I don't quite know exactly what happened after that. And she's got a long interview on Sam Harris's podcast. It's worth listening to where she explains it all in her story. But what worries me about that is it's it's now not even like people are bothering to engage with the material or what she said or anything like that. They're just assuming the, they just assume the worst and apologize. It's just like... I mean, even just saying it out loud, out loud now, I think, my goodness, what is the state of the arts? It's just, mm. it's abysmal. Uh, 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 you know, I've heard similar stories in classical music. I've heard similar stories in dance. There's a story of Rosie Kay. Um, there's a story of Lincoln Jones. You know, if listeners can look those up, something going on here where if you have the wrong opinions it will cost you and your career and by the way it's not just about the money like for example for meg smaker that film is her baby she poured years of her life into it but you know i use that metaphor for a reason you you really love your your project when you put everything into it so so it's not just a job it's it's more than that it's vocational it's 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 your everything and um it's it's very scary that that having the wrong opinions can can do so much damage. Uh, but again, with with Meg, I don't even she didn't even have the wrong opinions. She's mm. uh, there's another example of this, by the way, in the music industry is Ariel Pink. He went he was at the Trump rally that preceded the January sixth Capitol Hill storming, but he did not go to the Capitol Hill storming. Didn't even know about it. He went to bed early. Went to his hotel. Anyway, he's now you know, called an insurrectionist, even though he wasn't there, he's dropped from his record label by a text message, even though he wasn't there. And nowadays you get cancelled for things you don't even do. It's just, it's just absolute, it's just insanity. And sometimes I don't know, well, I certainly know people in the music industry who see the insanity of it and they just, they think I'll keep quiet. You know, I'm just going to get on with my music. I know several people like that. I get on my music, not get involved in this. But then I, I think that there are also a lot of people in the music industry or and the creative industries, and maybe most, who are just progressive and don't see don't see it like they don't see the world. They don't see these, they kind of miss these stories and, and are not worried about it. But I'm certainly uh worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> I share your concerns. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time on the podcast and just to close, Winston, um, 
talking about where you're at today, um, because you sort of went through a bit of a self-cancellation and the benefit of that is that you can then say what you think. You know, someone said something to me once, like once you're canceled, you're just canceled. It can't be done twice. So you can go ahead and say what you think. How does it feel now in your interviews for The Spectator, in your writing on Substack to just be able to speak freely? Well, firstly, I just want to just say, I I don't think I've been self-canceled. I think that... um... I was really I was forced to apologize and I was in a position where either I lie or I quit and speak the truth and so I don't think I I think the cancelling happened before I quit the band mm. um but regardless because I'm in the same position I would be either way now and and um so speaking freely is um it's not quite, it, it, well, firstly, it hasn't come so naturally because I, I think for a long time of being sort of scared to speak my mind, I'm still uh, slowly coming out of that and, and learning and, le- and relearning that freedom that I had in my, in my early 20s. And, and so, so it hasn't come like that quickly, uh, but there's also responsibility. You know, it's not, it's not just about saying anything, you know, you, you, when you're speaking, you've got to, you've got to take, I, I think you've got, one has to take care of their words and, and know what they're talking about and research what they're talking about. And, and uh, so there's somewhat responsibility with that freedom. And I still think there are, there are still consequences in, it, in speaking your mind, but, but at least for me, it's more, it was more about conscience and, and clearing my conscience. So uh, yeah, it's not quite the answer perhaps that you were hoping for, but um uh, I, I hope to get to a place where I where I feel like I can really speak freely, and I'm slowly getting. I'm much better than I was. Much better. Mm. Well, I really admire your work, and I really thank you for taking the time to come on today for the conversation. Tara, thank you kindly for having me. Lean Out is hosted and produced by myself. Tara Henley. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing to my Substack at tarahenley.substack.com.